Hey, Icon, good to be with you today. Uh, today we get to do something that's one of my favorite things to do uh, and, and like my favorite part of my job, which is not just preaching, but preaching one text verse by verse and explaining how a story that, you know, at first read probably seems a little abstract and a little weird uh, is actually completely relevant for things we deal with every day. In fact, conversations that I have had in the last week are are basically what's happening in this story between Jesus and the Jews. So as we are in week two of our John series, last week was just kind of a recap. This is actually jumping back in. I want to give you a little bit of context because I'm sure you went back and you studied to refresh where we were, where we left off last February, which in COVID years is like 14 years ago. Uh, I think we deserve a little refresh. So Here's what's happening. We're in John chapter 5. So go ahead and turn to John 5 in your Bible. And this is the story. We're, we're coming on the tail end of a story where Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, right? This guy is an invalid, cannot move. He's at this pool where all these people have the superstition that if an angel flies across the pool and, the, and causes their little waves to ripple, that the first one in the pool gets healed. I don't know how stuff like that starts, but I love stuff like that. So Jesus walks by, sees this guy and says, hey, do you want to get healed? And the guy goes, well, you know, I can, I'm never, I can never get in the pool first. And so, and Jesus is like, eh, that's not what I asked. The, too much information. Do you want to be healed? And the guy's like, yeah. So Jesus heals him. He goes, get up, take your mat, go. He, the, the Pharisees find out, these religious leaders find out, he tells them, and they're mad, right? They're mad that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, which is a no-no, right, for them right? No work on the Sabbath, including healing people, apparently. Where they come up with those rules, I will never understand. Like, who thought this was a great idea? Two guys thinking about Sabbath rules, and one of them's like, you know what they shouldn't be doing on the Sabbath? Healing people, because that's ridiculous. God would hate that if we were healing people on the Sabbath. <laughs> who wrote that one down, right? Like, that guy's the worst, okay? So, in chapter five, then at the end of this story, the Pharisees are all up in arms because Jesus is healing humans. And so in verse 14, it says afterward, after the healing and all of that, Jesus found the guy in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. That, that, that's a whole nother idea that this guy has spent his whole life thinking the fact that his legs don't work is the worst thing that could happen to him. And Jesus goes, listen, bro, don't sin. Because if you sin, something way worse could happen to you than just not having the use of your legs. The, the stuff that's going on inside of you is a way bigger deal than the stuff going on outside of you. But you know what? That's another sermon for another time. It says verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him, which by the way, like, why do you narc on the guy who healed you? Right? Like what? That's such a jerk move, right? This guy has been laying at this pool, unable to be healed for his entire life. Jesus shows up, heals him. The guy's like, oh, great. Thanks. But also you did it on the Sabbath. So I'm going to tell on you, right? So he goes and tells the Jews. 
that it was Jesus who'd healed him. Verse 16, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, right? So the Jews are like, nope, can't heal on the Sabbath. They're persecuting Jesus. They want to kill Jesus, right? This is Jesus' response. And I, I love, this is Jesus basically just trolling these guys, right? Like we thought we invented trolling, the internet invented trolling. No, Jesus was trolling way before the internet. He goes this, my father is working until now and I am working. Now, I'm sure you at home are like, oh, crazy, you know, Jesus, because you totally get that. But here, here's, what, here's what Jesus is saying. He goes, listen, as long as God is working, I'm working, right? So as, as long as the Father is at work in the world, so too I am at work in the world. Now, not only is, does he just say the Father or God, he goes, my Father, right? Now, for us, we might not really respond to that, but the Jews, they like to freak out at things Jesus says. So verse 18 says, this was why, this is John's commentary, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, right? That's what's going on, okay? So this specific story is, really unique. Likely you've never experienced a moment where you healed a guy on the wrong day and all the religious people were mad at you. My guess is that's not happened to you. But I, but I do wonder if you have, let's just say this year, right? Um, done something, acted in, in such a way that was consistent with your convictions that then somebody else outside of you went, that's not okay. You can't do that right? So maybe it was a parent, uh, you know, kind of calling you out for doing something inconsistent with your family's values. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was the internet, right? Saying, hey, what you're doing or what you're believing or your behavior, it's just not okay, right? So I was, I was recently talking with some friends about, you know, raising kids and being in school and, and kind of comparing and contrasting their school experience with our school experience and, and mostly just talking about how much the world has changed, right? So I'm 42, I'm very old, but, but when I was in high school in the 90s, really the peak of American culture, um, that we, we were just dealing with totally different things than, than high school kids and middle school kids are dealing with today. And, and honestly, at the, at the highest and most important levels, like we were not having conversations in middle school about gender identity, about sexuality, about race issues. Like these were not our issues, right? And maybe I was naive. Maybe I was lying. Maybe these conversations were happening all around me. I don't think that's the case, right? So the world has changed like crazy. And, and it's, it's been on fast forward for the last couple of years, it seems like, to the degree that now when we Christians act out of our convictions, what used to be kind of pretty parallel to people in our world who weren't Christians, but were kind of in our same, you know, geographic region and culture, that those parallel lines have begun to diverge. And in the last couple of years have begun to diverge really quickly, right? 
So that now it is more and more and more common that the things that we as Christians might do or believe or say or think is now very divergent and very different from the things that are being done and said and believed and thought in our culture. So much so now that I often hear, oh, you can't say that. Or you can't do that. You can't think that anymore. It does, you can't act that way. You can't say that thing, right? So we've experienced this in our very, very short church life where we've been kicked out of a building because of those divergent convictions, right? And so this is just becoming more and more common. This is not super different than what Jesus is experiencing in this story right? He acts out of his convictions. The people around him, the culture around him says, that's not okay. You can't do that. Now, in Jesus' case, this was the kind of Jewish religious uh, uh, authority of the day going like, hey, this breaks our rules. To be clear, this doesn't break the Bible's rules, but it breaks their kind of system of understanding what it means to live in line with the Bible, which is two different things. So Jesus shows up, heals on the Sabbath. The people around him go, you can't do that. Jesus' first response is kind of to provoke them by going like, hey, as long as my father is at work, I'm at work. And I just picture him starting to walk away after dropping that troll and then just walking away. And then it says they wanted to kill him all the more. So I don't know about you. When I read the Bible, especially narrative sections, I, I like to picture what I think is happening. And by all means, this is formed mostly by like bad Jesus movies, right? Like that's what I picture mixed with like Lawrence of Arabia or something, right? But this is this is what I'm picturing. And so so for whatever reason, I just picture the these Jewish leaders being like eh, eh, plotting his death, like all all like Scooby-Doo villain style, right? So Jesus is starting to walk away. The Jews are just getting madder and madder and madder. And Jesus turns back to them. And this is where our passage starts in verse 19. And this is Jesus's defense. Okay. And so what I want us to do as we listen to Jesus's defense here in, in this story in verses 19 through 30, I, I want us to think about those moments and those ways in which may, maybe we've had an actual experience where someone's gone, hey, you can't do that. You can't think that way. You can't say that thing. You can't act that way. You can't believe that thing. And, and, and maybe there's an actual story of a, way, a, a moment we can remember. But I think often for many of us, and we're actually going to talk about this a little bit more next week. I think for many of us, there's just this sense. There's just kind of this cultural sense that the way we believe, the way we think is different then. And I've noticed that people have kind of one of two reactions to that sense. One is to justify their actions and, and to do so kind of angrily to fight about these issues and to push back hard and to feel kind of persecuted or martyred even at times by those outside voices. And that's, that's kind of the perspective we're going to talk about a little more next week. But the other response that I, I see people doing that I, I think Jesus speaks to really strongly is to say, oh, you know what, my, my, my parents think this or my, my friends think this or my family or my coworkers or the people around me or kind of culture, Twitter, Instagram, like wh whatever it is, whatever our windows into that culture where we're feeling that pressure. 
and, and we start to go, well, gosh, I, I want to be, I want to be relevant to that, or I, I want to understand that, right? Like a conversation I recently had where I, I heard somebody goes, well, that's just not what those, it's just not what the world believes anymore. It's just not how they think about it anymore. And which, which was a, a way of kind of arguing, so we ought to begin thinking that way. Like the way we used to think, it's just not the way the world thinks about this anymore. They think about it this way. Therefore, we ought to start thinking about it that way, right? And, and by all means, being aware of and sensitive to and, and sympathetic to even the way in which people think, to be able to enter into that way of thinking is extremely important for us to do, for, for our Christian witness, for our mission here in Seattle and around the world. But, but there's a huge difference between going like, okay, I want to understand that and be able to enter into it and just going like, oh, oh, what are they saying? Oh, okay, that's what we're doing now. Right? Oh, oh, this external source of whatever kind, friend, family, culture, coworkers, whatever, um, this external source is going, oh no, we think this way now, or we do it this way. We don't do this, we do this. We don't think that, we think that. And people go, oh, okay, that, all right, that's what we're thinking now. Okay, so this is basically what's happening to Jesus. Jesus has acted, the external source has gone, no, that's not okay, you can't do that, you can't say that. And Jesus is going, okay, l- let me defend myself. And so what we read in verses 19 through 30 is Jesus's defense. And I want us to think through these experiences that we're having the way Jesus is thinking through them himself. So verse 19 says, so Jesus said to them, the Jews, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, this section, verses 19 through 30, is is kind of formatted. It is structured with three truly, truly's right? Love that. Not the drink, but the phrase, truly, truly. And then five fours. And four in Greek is gar, okay? I just taught you a Greek word. You know some Greek now. You're welcome, okay? So there's, there's three truly, truly's, which in the, in the Greek is just amen, amen. It just means this is the truth, this is the truth. The way at the end of a prayer we would say amen to go to kind of certify, I believe this is the truth, what we just stated, yes, right? So Jesus is going to lead a couple of sentences here by saying truly, truly, and these are the kind of these statements of fact from Jesus, and then four, 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 which are kind of the implications of them. So if you saw it in the Greek, you'd see a bunch of amen, amen and some gar, 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 right? You know that now that you know Greek, right? So he starts in verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, which, which is just, it's a statement of, of fact. It's a statement of kind of solemnity. It's a statement of like, hey, listen up. What I'm about to tell you is true. The son himself, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise now this is going to get into some trinity stuff that we don't have the time uh to to get after today okay so i apologize if there are moments where you have questions about what about you know father and the son and the relationship with the spirit and the trinity and all that really great questions join an icon group, okay? Uh, But we're not gonna get into Trinity stuff today. So we're just gonna roll through this. Here's what I want you to hear from Jesus here. The Jews are upset. His response is, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. First, 
Jesus's claim to divinity is not a claim of autonomy. Okay, let me say it again. Jesus's claim of divinity, which we saw him make in the last story at the end of, uh, at the, end of the story of healing the guy when he goes, listen, whatever the father's working, I'm working. And all, everybody around him went, okay, we understand what you mean by that because in our culture, with our language, which Jesus understood and had grown up in, when you say you are equal, that, that you are the son of a father, you are putting yourself in equal status with the father. And if you're talking about God, that means you're putting yourself in equal status with God. Everybody gets this. John gets it. He writes the commentary. I, I hear people all the time go, well, Jesus never said he was God. No, he just did. Just because you don't understand that he said he was God doesn't mean he didn't just say he was God. Everybody else around him understood it that was there at the time. So you, 2,000 years later, going, well, if he didn't say it like I would say it, uh, is kind of irrelevant, right? So Jesus just established, listen, I, I am God. I'm claiming the divine authority to heal on the Sabbath and to forgive this guy's sins, which is a whole other matter. But this claim to divinity was not a claim of autonomy. This was not a claim to say, I can do whatever I want to do because I'm God. It's not what Jesus is saying. This is really important for us, right? When he says, I can heal on the Sabbath because I'm God, it's not him saying, I can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm the boss, right? Only, only bad bosses say, hey, I'm the boss. I can do whatever I want. That's the kind of boss you should quit working for, okay? Jesus going, listen, I, I am one with the Father. I only do and I can only do what I see the Father doing. And this is the, this kind of beautiful unity in the Trinity where, and, and I told you I wasn't going to get into Trinity stuff, so I'm just going to get a little bit. But this, this beautiful unity in the Trinity that Jesus goes, listen, I, I'm one with, I am in perfect accord with the Father. I can only do what I see him doing. So there is a, a submission in that unity as well. So rather than it being an autonomy of I can do whatever I want, it's actually Jesus going, no, listen, I, I, I am in perfect submission to the will, the mind, the desires of the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing for, it's our first gar, for Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So we see this like humble, uh, submissive unity and a perfect obedience. A perfect obedience that the son goes, I only do what the father does. Which, which incidentally is also a way in which we go, the son is the revelation of the father. So if Jesus goes, everything I do is in perfect unified submission to the father, then we can look at everything Jesus does and go, oh, that is the will of God. So Jesus is revealing to us the heart of God. Jesus is revealing to us the will of God in stories like this, that we can look at Jesus healing this man on the Sabbath and go, God cares deeply for the poor, deeply for the oppressed, deeply for the disabled, deeply for those at the margins. We see the heart of God poured out through Jesus's action. So Jesus's response to the Jews is not to claim autonomy. It is to claim unity with the Father, basically going, listen, I did this because it is the heart of God. And I perfectly obey the heart of God. Now, 
4, number 2. It says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is himself doing. So not only is the son perfectly submitted to the father, but the father is perfectly kind of revealing himself to the son and then through the son to us, that there is nothing hidden, that the father is not going like, I'm going to give you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm going to show you some of it. He goes, no, I'm going to show you everything. I want to reveal to you everything about my world, everything that matters, everything that is of value. I'm going to show you what is good, and I'm going to show you what is evil. I'm going to show you what I've created this world to be, that there is nothing hidden from the Son. There are no secrets between the Son and the Father. They are perfectly unified together. Jesus goes, and, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. He goes, listen, if, if you think me healing this disabled man and allowing him to walk again is great, man, you, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? You, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think this issue is a big issue? You think me healing on the Sabbath is a big deal? You think me making this lame man able to walk again is a big deal? You ain't seen nothing. If you have an argument with this, you know, you're not going to like the rest of it, right? And I feel like this is often my experience with people and our experience when there are things that we believe and things that we do that, that rub up against culture and as, as our culture and Christian, uh, Christian kind of ethics have diverged that we go, man, there's these issues and we, we fight about them and we disagree about them. And there's always a moment in these conversations, I had one recently, just a few weeks ago, where I go, you know what, honestly, like, if this ethical issue is like a, a real burn for you, just wait till you get to like, Jesus is God. He died on the cross to save you from your sins. He was raised on the third day. Like, let's work backwards from there, right? Rather than going like this ethical issue, this social issue, this thing, this behavior, whatever, I got a problem with this thing. We go, no, no, no. Let's work backwards from Jesus is God, which, which is exactly what Jesus has just done. You notice that Jesus has yet, and I'll just give you a spoiler alert, he doesn't ever make an argument specifically about the Sabbath. Jesus' argument isn't about the Sabbath. He doesn't make this kind of Old Testament biblical argument for why he's allowed to heal on the Sabbath. He goes, no, 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 let's start at the top. I'm God. Well, after that, what do you have to argue about? right? So oftentimes when these things are coming from the outside of us and we want to get into it and wrestle and argue the thing, we ought to take a step back as Jesus did and go, okay, uh, first, is Jesus God? Yes or no? Because if the answer is no, then we got no chance to agree on this stuff. We're, we're starting from totally different vantage points. But if the answer is yes, Jesus is God, then anything Jesus says or anything Jesus does as God is true and good and beautiful. But if we start on these different planes where Jesus is a good guy and I'm like, no, Jesus is actually God in flesh. Well, then we take the words and actions of Jesus very differently from there. So Jesus begins by establishing his identity, establishing this kind of core piece of who he actually is and therefore what authority he carries. Okay, so let's, let's keep tracking. Verse 21, he goes, For 
as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Now, remember, he had just said, greater works than these you will see, right? He goes, I, I just healed this dude. This is pretty good. Like, I've never done that personally. I don't know if you have. I've never healed a dude. Jesus goes, you're going to see greater works than these. Let me give you an example, right? For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. He goes, that's what we're talking about. He goes, healing, yes, great. Want to heal? It's a picture of the kingdom. I, God, in God's perfect world, nobody is, is, is ill. Nobody, none of this is happening. He goes, so, so healing's good, right? Like this is a picture of God's kingdom. Because I, I'm here to raise the dead, man. Like not just heal the sick and, and you know, open prison doors, let the captives free. Like I, I am here to raise the dead. That's the power that I have. That is the power that the father has and has given to me. Okay. So he's going to say three things here in these next couple of sentences that as uh, 21st century Westerners, they give us a little bit of, you know, maybe a little twinge of like, uh, why, why would he say it that way? And what, is that fair? And this, like all, all of these kind of ideas about equity um, come into our mind when we hear some of this and it, it, it might rub us the wrong way, which to me is one of my favorite things about the Bible, right? This story is about how Jesus healed on the Sabbath and it rubbed everybody in their culture the wrong way. They went, ah, that ain't right. That's not okay. We don't do that, right? Where today we would look at Jesus healing on the Sabbath and go, great. And, the, and, and any religious people that were against it, we would call hypocrites. We go, what are you talking about? Isn't the greater evil that this guy was disabled? And wouldn't it be a greater evil that, that if Jesus just walked past him because of what day of the week it was? Like our modern sensibilities have the absolute reverse sense of this story as the original hears. This is what I love about the Bible. I say this all the time. The Bible is an equal opportunity offender. No matter where you are, when you are, the Bible will offend you. It's so good at that. This is one of my favorite things about it. And it offends the opposite depending on where you are and where you're standing. So there are a couple things in here that are at least mildly offensive to us. And so I want to lean into them real quick. This is a big part of Jesus' argument. So, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life. And what's that last phrase? To whom he will. To whom he will. That it is Jesus who has the authority to choose to whom he will give life. Is that fair? To us, it's, it feels very undemocratic. Like, why wouldn't I be free to choose if I get life or not? Why wouldn't that be my choice? What, who, is, who is Jesus to say whom he will give life to? Why does he get to choose that? And what are the, what are the criteria? Is he going to be discriminatory about it? And how do we understand that discrimination? Which, well, if he acts this way, is it discriminatory to this group of people? How's that going to work? And is that fair? That's the first claim, that Jesus can give life to whom he will. The second is this. He says, for, again, this is an implicit for, it's there in the Greek, I promise. Those of you who are reading today in your Greek Bible, you see it. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Judgment is one of our favorite things, right? We love being judgy. 
hate being judged. We love being judgy, okay? Jesus goes, listen, I am the judge. The Father judges no one. He has given all power of judgment to the Son. Now, this is in the micro sense of judging, hey, that's good, that's bad, that's good, that's bad, but also in the macro sense of eternal judgment, okay? We're going to see that play out here in a moment that Jesus is the judge over the whole world. So in this situation, he has the authority to say, no, 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 what I did by healing on the Sabbath, that, that was good. I judge that to be good, not evil. And that is my power, that is my authority to do, not yours. Okay, so Jesus does, does a thing. The Jews go, I, we judge that to be evil. Jesus goes, I judge that to be good. And the Father, God himself, gave me the power of judgment, so I win, right? That, that's his claim, that Jesus is the one who gets to judge what is good and what is evil. And number three, it says, that, so that, all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So there's three kind of issues that might, might kind of rub us the wrong way. One, that Jesus has the authority to give life to whom he will. Two, that Jesus is the final judge, the divine judge of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And then in the end is the kind of eternal judge to, to kind of separate the, the good people from the evil people. And then third, that all of this is done so that the son would be honored the way that the father is honored, that Jesus would be honored the way that God is honored. And there are times we might read something like this and go, man, why is Jesus so wrapped up about his honor, about worship, which is essentially what this is, that we, we would give honor where honor is due. And Jesus goes, you honor the father, but you don't honor me. And so when you don't honor me, you're not, you're dishonoring the father. Okay. So all of these things kind of rub us the wrong way that Jesus would give life to whom he will, that he is the one who judges, not us. And that he is all about his own honor. Why does this matter? Verse 24, our second, truly, truly. Jesus goes, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And this is the key. This is what Jesus has now just said for the first time in public, right? He said it once in John 3, but that was in a private conversation with Nicodemus. Turn back to John 3. Perhaps you've heard this verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16, not sure you've heard of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the very purpose for which God came, Jesus came into the world that the world might be saved through him, right? So he, he is walking around, teaching, healing, performing miracles, talking, demonstrating the kingdom of God. 
giving us, giving us eyes to see, to be able to witness the, the reality of the kingdom of God, that, G, that Jesus is revealing the character and the will and the heart of the Father to us so that we might see and believe, that we might see that God is the kind of God who would break social and even religious norms in order to love a, a man who had been disabled all his life, stuck next to this pool, hoping against hope for a miracle that would never come until Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, walked by and revealed the heart of God by saying, get up, take your mat and walk. You're healed. And your sins are forgiven on top of it too. Just purely by placing your faith in me, your sins are forgiven. So here's what we see, right? Jesus going, I have divine authority, which doesn't grant me autonomy, but grants me unity with the Father. So that with that, I have the power to give life, to give life to whomever I will. I get to be the judge. I get to judge what is good and evil, right and wrong, because, because I am God, because I made it all, because it came through me, and, and according to Colossians 1, is all for me and by me that I can grant life to any of you and that the proper response to all of this is honor, it's worship. And then he lays it out really clearly. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. There is a radical, inclusive exclusivity to the gospel. Let me say that again. There is a radically inclusive exclusivity to the gospel, right? Jesus gets to decide to whom he will give salvation. And, and, and every God of every major religion has that same divine right to bestow the, the life or honor or grace or whatever their religion kind of calls it, blessing of whatever kind, their God has the power to bestow that upon whomever that God will. And, and I'm not going to get into all the different religions and how they think through that and kind of their economy of how, who gets blessed and who doesn't. But I, but I, I will take a moment just to, just to point out the fact that our current culture is no different. Our culture does the exact same thing, and sometimes it's via a Twitter mob, sometimes it's via kind of, uh, you know, corporations grandstanding and doing certain things to, to portray what the values of the culture are, and therefore to give and take away life or blessing or honor based upon its own will. Culture does this all the time. Well, subcultures do this all the time. Media does this all the time. We, we, we all do it. So we do. We go, these are the things that matter, and I'm going to give whatever you call it, blessing, honor, platform, to whomever we deem worthy based on our expectations, what we judge to be good and right. We are going to honor those who are in alignment with what we believe. And so we'll platform or de-platform center or decenter them, which is the modern language for this. It's not different. It's not different. Jesus just begins by going, I'm God. I created all this. He's not just different in, in his identity and his authority and his power, 
But notice the, the, the grounds, the criteria for being centered, platformed, blessed, saved, given life. Is it a set of behaviors? No. Is it a racial identity? No. Though most religions up to this point were almost purely racial identities. Jesus goes, I don't care who you are. Jew, Greek, Roman, Arab, I don't care. You're a man, you're a woman, I don't care. Black, white, brown, I don't care. Rich, poor, middle class, I don't care. Able-bodied or disabled, I don't care. A, a, a lawyer, a teacher, someone of great influence, of someone of great reputation, or, or on the lower end of the social kind of stratus, I don't care. He goes, I, I don't care about all any of that. That the gospel offer, the, the, the ones to whom he will give life is at once radically inclusive. There are no barriers, no social barriers that Jesus sets up to say these kinds of people are in and those kinds of people are out. None of that in Jesus. It is radically inclusive and yet also very exclusive in the sense that you have to admit to believe, to honor Jesus as who he says he is. That's it. So you can come from anywhere. You can, 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 can kind of know anything. You can be anyone. You can live in any place at any time. But you have to come to Jesus and go, yeah, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And it's that simple. You either say, yeah, Jesus, you are who you say you are, or you're not who you say you are. That's it. That's the radical inclusivity of the gospel. That there, there's no other qualifications. Just to go simply, Jesus says he is God. He claims divine unity and authority for judgment and life-giving. All you have to do is go, yeah, that's true. I believe that's true. And you're in. That's it. So all, all of these things that we go, well, why, why should Jesus get to be the judge? Why should Jesus carry out li or give out life to whom he will? Why does Jesus deserve the honor? And I would just challenge you to say, there's nobody else you would rather have that. Because there is nobody else who would be as radically inclusive as Jesus is. Every other person who you might bestow the power of life upon will have a set of criteria that you will eventually not fit. Because it'll shift and it'll change and you will fall short. But Jesus goes, I know that you would fall short of any other criteria. So here's the only criteria. Believe I am who I say I am. Throw yourself at my mercy. Give yourself to me. That's it. I don't care about all the rest of it at the beginning. Step one is, I am who I say I am. 
And he starts again, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, there, there's kind of this already and not yet tension in this passage, right? Like there, there's, there's a theological of kind of framework to say that the kingdom of God was breaking in, was beginning here in Jesus' ministry and it is not yet kind of completed, this tension between this kind of inaugurated or just begun kingdom of God. And this passage here is where Jesus kind of gives us that idea. He says, this, this hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the gospel and they will be brought to life. He goes, it's happening even now spiritually. Some of you have heard the gospel message and, and it has ignited life in you and you've gone, yes, I want that. I want him. I want you, Jesus. And the dead soul in you has been brought to life by the good news of the gospel. And in eternity to come, we will be also physically resurrected. So there is the kingdom of God that has begun in the hearts of God's people. And there is the kingdom that will be completed when Jesus comes back for his people. 4, verse 26, as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. The very presence of Jesus is life. John 1, 4 in the prologue to this gospel, he says, in him, in the logos was life. To be near to Jesus is to be near to life. To be in Jesus is to be in life. That he isn't just someone who hands out life, but he is life itself, which is to say that that first decision to believe that Jesus is who he says he is is the first of many decisions to grow nearer and nearer and nearer to Jesus. And as we do, we grow nearer and nearer and nearer to life itself. In him is life, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man, which was just a little drop for the Jews in the room because this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, this vision that Daniel had of one like the Son of Man who comes before the Ancient of Days, comes before God and is given an eternal kingdom. And Jesus here is going, remember that? Remember Daniel 7? Remember the Son of Man that we've been waiting for, the King of the Kingdom, the one that, that, that God himself, Yahweh himself, gives an eternal kingdom to? He goes, that's me, y'all. That's me that you've been waiting for. So this is, this is one of those great moments where Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe who speaks to us today in 2021 is also speaking directly to the Jews at his time that have been waiting for this Son of Man. And then verse 28, I love moments like this. Do not marvel at this. Which again, when you just picture these moments, I just picture the Jews. What did their faces look like in this moment that caused Jesus to go, don't marvel at this, right? Or were they going like, oh. Like Jesus is teaching, they're marveling. Jesus goes, don't marvel at this, man. This is just teaching. Don't marvel at this. For Gar, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil, to the resurrection of judgment. Those, my friends, 
are the stakes that we are talking about. Those are the stakes. That one day, the dead will be raised, some to judgment and condemnation, some to eternal life. That's what's at stake. So going all the way back to the beginning of this message, all the way back to those moments where we've been told, hey, we don't say that, we don't do that, we don't believe that, we don't think that anymore. And we have this choice. And, and, and there's many of us who have been tempted in those moments to kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is just, this is what we think now. This is what the world thinks now. This is, what, this is what we do now. This is what we believe now. This is how we act now. This is how we talk now in order to be given the blessings of this world, to be platform-centered, blessed, grace, whatever, to be given what life we want. We have to go along with these things. And Jesus goes, no, you don't. Because in me is life. I have the power to give life. I have the power of judgment. I will give life to those whom I will. That there will come a day where, where all of this becomes eternal. Right now, it's Twitter fights and, and arguments over dinner. But there is a day where this becomes eternal. And you're going to look back on that moment where in your workplace, you went along with what was going on around you because you wanted what they could give you, the promotion, the job, the position, the whatever. And you made a decision to, to rather than to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and to follow him faithfully in the real world. You decided, man, this is really important and really, the times are changing, things are different, and I am going to therefore grant these people the power, the authority that Jesus claims for himself, the authority to say what is true and not true, judgment, to say what is good and evil, and to then bestow life upon me as their followers that I'm going to honor them the way Jesus says the son should be honored, that I'm going to claim that they have the power of judgment the way Jesus says he has the power of judgment. I, I am going to uh, believe that they can grant life, not Jesus. This is the decision we have. This is the choice we have to make. That every time we make these choices, we ought to be asking ourselves the same question, be, be thinking about our actions the same way Jesus does in verse 19, where he can, because he's Jesus, say, I do nothing of my own accord. I, I can't do anything of my own accord. I, I am not autonomous. I am not the king of my own life. But I only do what I see the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the son does likewise. As Christians, this should be our claim. This should be our aim. This should be what we wake up going like, I can't, I am not an autonomous being. I don't make the decisions. I don't have the power. I cannot give uh, life to whom I will. I am not the judge. I don't deserve all the honor. God does. So when these questions come up and they do over and over and over and over, I go, I do not act on my own accord, but I can only do what I see the father doing. I obey the father because it's the Father who gives life. It's the Father who judges. It's the Father for, for, for whom I was made and by whom I was made. So th this little story here with Jesus and the Jews is incredibly relevant for every single day of our lives. 
And, and there's, a, there's a gift as our culture diverges from our Christian faith. There is a gift in clarity. There's a, there's a gift that we can now see clearly what it is God has called us to, and, and there's less intertwining and w- where it's easier to kind of go, ah, I, I don't know, man, it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. And God goes, listen, I am God, and man, I am for you. I love you. I died to make a way for you. That's the heart of God for you. They have never died for you. They will never die for you. They will kill you for themselves, but they will never die for you. Jesus died for you to make a way for you to experience life in him. Today is the day. Jesus says an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will be made alive. Today is that day. If you are listening and you, you, you have never placed your faith in Jesus, I'm just telling you now, he is God, he is the judge, he gives life and he has granted you life by his own death. All you have to do is say, I believe you are who you say you are and walk with him, walk towards life. Let's pray. Jesus, we are forever indebted to you as our creator, as our sustainer, and as our savior. I pray, God, that you would give us life, that you would grant life to those out there hearing your gospel message today. Grant them life, animate their hearts so that they might love and follow you. And for those of us who uh, are following you as best we can, God, remind us, you are the judge. You give life. And the stakes could not be higher. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we always do, we're going to transition to a time of response. We do this in a couple different ways. Uh, The band's going to come back and lead us uh, in in some more singing. I just encourage you. I I know it can be awkward. I don't know where you're watching or listening to this, but man, sing. Sing the praises of our God. Honor Christ in your singing. We also, uh, during this time, give. And if if you uh, are new to us, man, we we don't want anything from you, especially if you're not a Christian. we're We're not asking for money from you generosity is something that Christians do out of the overflow of the generosity of God. And and you have all been so incredibly generous uh, this last year. And just encourage you to continue to model the way of Jesus in your generosity. Uh, Each and every week we take communion to remember Christ's sacrifice for us, the way that he has made for us to experience life. So if you haven't already, grab your bread and your wine or juice and remember the broken body and shed blood of Christ that made a way for you to be saved. But before we do any of this, we take a moment in quiet reflection. We need the quiet. We need to hear the voice of God. We need to take these moments. And so let's do that together.